Welcome to Anthropology of Girlhood, a girlhood podcast about rock and roll. I'm Alexa Ray Hack. I'm a comedian and storyteller, and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Micah Silver, and I'm a child care provider, and I use they, them pronouns. This week, we are back on talking about Cameron Crowe. We're talking about 2000's Almost Famous, which is sort of lightly fictionalized autobiography of Cameron Crowe. Which is wild. Yeah, crazy that... This is all, like, this is a thing that happened to him. But our protagonist, William, is a gifted high school student who goes on tour with this fictional band Stillwater and learns about the rock scene in the early 70s. You should absolutely watch this movie. It's insane to me that neither of us had seen this movie before we watched it for the show. This is hands down the best movie we've watched so far. This is one of the best movies I've watched Ever. Ever. Like, it is, it is up there in my rotations of favorite movies. Yeah, now. it's so good. It's so good. As always, follow us on Twitter at Anthro267. Subscribe to our Patreon, please. We're currently in a cross-country move and would adore the extra help. Oh, speaking of which, I'm, I don't want to, I hate to break into your flow. We apologize if the show releases have been or get a little wonky. We are in the middle of a move, like Micah said, so things are a little weird right now, and also we do know that the February bonus episode hasn't come out yet, so we'll we'll get there. Things will, my, things will all come out, but they might come out in their time. <laughs> Leave a review on Apple Podcasts, please, and as always, thank you and enjoy. I don't know this movie is kind of like a little bit legendary yeah like i've always heard about it but i'd never seen it and it it doesn't it doesn't make a ton of money it's sort of a cult hit right it's just interesting i don't know the more cameron crow movies i watch the more i want to like watch and read everything he's ever done yeah like i've never seen jerry Maguire because i don't like tom cruise but like now Fair. I'm willing to sit through it now because it's Cameron Crowe. Doesn't he have another Tom Cruise picture? Yeah, Vanilla Sky. I don't know that It's also a Tom Cruise vehicle. But yeah, it feels like this is a little bit like his... This is um, his vamps. His vamps. Yeah. Yeah, this is, feels like his passion project. Yeah, it I definitely mean, does. Especially considering that it's, you know, following immediately on the heels of Jerry Maguire, which is like... Not only his most successful movie, but, like, one of the most successful movies of all time. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like if you're Cameron Crowe in the late 90s, you have sort of a blank check to make whatever you want. Yeah. Speaking of which, blank check did do Cameron Crowe. Did they? And so I might go through and I kind of just want to watch the rest of his movies now. So I might just go through and watch them. So I can listen to all the yeah Blank no series. same I I love Blank Check if you if you are a movie nerd that is one of the best podcasts out there yeah right so like he writes a bunch of stuff he writes Fast Times at Ridgemont High that's his like right claim his original claim to fame and then eighty nine he directs Say Anything ninety two is Singles which is kind of a <laughs> the, like not a hit a good movie but not a hit right. 96, four years later, 96, Jerry Maguire fucking smashes it it over the green monster. And then Almost Famous, four years later, which is, like, not 
an amazing financial success, but a huge critical success. Oscar for Best Original Screenplay, BAFTA for Original Screenplay, Golden Globe for Best Picture, etc., etc., etc. It yeah. is... It's Grammy for Best Compilation Soundtrack. Yeah, this movie uh, is amazing. Like, we've loved a lot of the movies we've watched, but this is, like, probably the best one we have seen so far. The production of this film is incredible. Amazing. Like... You said while we were watching it, it looks like you're watching this whole movie through a Polaroid. Yeah. The costuming is on point and incredible. The soundtrack and audio design, the lighting is amazing. And I'm thinking, like, when they... go, Even when they go to, like, the house party... Right, like after the band like ostensibly uh-huh. kind of breaks up and he goes to the house party. I'm like, I believe this is a house in 1973. Oh my like, God, I yes. I totally buy this as a house party in 1973. Yeah, like it's it's a piece of time travel, which is such Amazing. a hard thing to pull off in and film. And kind of a thing that Crow is good at, right? I yeah. feel like singles kind of does the same thing for early 90s Seattle as this does for like early 70s rock and roll. Absolutely. Yeah, he's really his world building around his movies. It's is- kind of not fair how talented he is. Like you shouldn't be allowed to both be on the cover like write cover story for Rolling Stone when you're 16 years old. And also have some of the best and most successful, like, also direct some of the best and most successful movies of all time. Like, pick a fucking lane, my guy. Right? Like, <laughs> like right, good. Save some success for the rest of us, please. Good writer-directors. I could count on one hand. Right. Like. Cons- good, consistent writer-directors. Right. Yeah. And also, he's like, Cameron Crowe is kind of a quiet one, like, not. He's not, like, a name that is, like, super recognizable to a lot of people. If you weren't in the know, you, yeah, you probably wouldn't know him, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, Jerry Maguire, uh, did he make other stuff? Right, exactly. You wouldn't probably know say anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And maybe Jerry Maguire, but, like, that's kind of it. Right, but, like, holy shit. Yeah. (laughs) This movie was just, like, we watched it last night, and I already want to rewatch it. Right. I mean... I watched this movie three times for the show. Just I don't because I, I watched it and I was like, it's so fucking good. I didn't even take notes. I got to go back and do it again. <laughs> yeah, this definitely feels like his vamps though. And it everyone seems to be having fun and everyone seems to like totally. really understand their character and really like have a full grasp of who they are and yeah. what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, Like I don't, there is not a bad performance in this movie at all no no not anywhere yeah even like the little walk-on roles like mark Marin is the club owner like chris mintz plass as the like led zeppelin fan right is the name but i can't think of it like even those are like so good and like like you have jimmy fallon who like famously comes on and does jimmy fallon and not really a character i feel like like actually kind of doing Doing, a thing right and like i believe his uh, his character as a character you know totally i totally buy him as this kind of like slimy manager guy just trying to milk money out of a band on the up you know right come up but yeah i he's just such a such a talented director such a good director not fair it makes me mad it's directors like this is why i dropped out of film school like how can you live up to this right it's it's you can't and the writing can we 
just as we're praising Cameron Crowe, the script of this is so good. It's so good. Every scene that William's mom is in, she has some like gut-wrenching, cutting line. Like she has some of the most incredibly written lines yeah. and it's just there's painful. still time for you to be a person, person. of substance russell oh, oh god oh what was the other one you're rebellious and ungrateful of my love yeah i have that written down here too you're rebellious and ungrateful of my love which i'm pretty sure is an exact quote from my mother i'm pretty sure that <laughs> is a direct quote and you have to pay her royalties every time you say that because <laughs> There's nothing I love more than talking shit about my mom on this podcast. <laughs> I hope she fucking listens. Yeah, yeah but, but this mom she's... definitely has, like, I wrote in my notes, she has Carrie's mom vibes early on. Yeah, like, she does. She real Carrie's mom vibes. Yeah, she does. Yeah, and, like, Cameron Crowe, again, crushing it with the women that he writes. Like, even this mom has an arc that I, like, is believable of her growth, and, like, she ends up kind of coming around and like realizing her children are independent and yeah. not just there to fill her void of loneliness yeah. but she does still kind of like look down on this whole thing like oh, she, as much as she feels like her child she has to let her children go to be themselves she definitely feels like she's letting her children go to fuck up their lives yeah like i think she would probably say as much like well, my kids have to let, I have to let my kids ruin their own lives. And it's like, just because they don't have the same priorities as you doesn't mean they're fucking up. It just means that like, you don't have the same priorities. Just because your kids have different priorities from you doesn't make them unsuccessful. Sorry, can you say that again for the parents who aren't listening? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? Like, let your kids define their own success. Because, like, what I mean is, like, because this mom does a lot of really fucked up shit. Yeah, she does. In the name of making her kid, like, you know, quote unquote successful. Right? Right. Like, something as fundamental as lying to your kid about their age. Holy fucking shit. Like. Which is, like, so incredibly abusive. Like, that is, like, gaslighting on steroids. Right. It is. Like, and, like, we talk about betrayal of trust with parents all the time. Like, we talked about this with Santa Claus. Like, why would you give your kid the idea that you they can't trust you? Because right? you would, if you would lie to, some, to them about something so fundamental as, like, the year they were born, then how can they trust anything you say? Right? Oh, my God. How do they know everything isn't a fabrication? And to do it for a stupid reason of like letting him get into a grade sooner like for your own clout so that you can say i have a smart son because it's not about him no because if you are advancing your kid into a grade higher than them there is so much more to consider than just what they're learning yeah like you and also purposely othering your child like that. Yeah. And like, especially like with the way you celebrate holidays and not allowing them to be a part of popular culture, like you are taking away community and support. And yeah. You are literally making that child, you're, you the center of that child's universe, right. which is so manipulative and right. so unimaginable. Yeah. I, I have this note too about how like it feels like parents in movies a lot of the time, like, or, I mean, not just in movies, like, parents in real life, 
just like don't understand that school is as much about social and emotional learning as it is about educational learning. It's so important. Which is a, the kind of thing that you miss out on when you skip a grade. Or, like, she said there's a quote I wrote down, like, who put a, such a high value on a crowd? Adolescence. Children. Like, that is a fundamental part of being a teenager and being in middle and high school is that you're figuring out how to build a community around, like, shared interests and how to have a friend group and how to organize activities with your friends exactly. and, like, go to parties. Like, all of the social stuff you have to do as an adult... You learn to do in high school, which is why I'm so fucking mad that I spent all of my high school just working constantly because I never got to do the social part of being in high school or being in college. And I had to figure all that stuff out when I was goddamn 25. Yeah. Like, we've established that you should be yourself. Don't pretend to be somebody else unless that's something that you decide to put effort into. Whatever. Be yourself. That's the moral of life, I feel like. But... The whole idea of vilifying conformity is not a healthy relationship with yeah. it either. Like, yes, let them listen to things that other people are listening to. Yeah. You know what it does? It builds common interest so you can empathize with other people. Right. You know? So what if they are into the same thing that five other kids are? Right. Like, that and means they have similarities with five other kids. Like, so what if they only want a yo-yo because their friends all have yo-yos? Cool! They can be the yo-yo club now! Fucking awesome! Right? Who cares? It was a weird example, but like, I, I don't know. It's ridiculous. I feel like this kind of comes back to this thing we've talked about, about straight people not really putting in the thought process of what kids are and what right. they bring. From the way it's written, it really seems like she had children to fill a void inside of her and to validate her existence. Right. And the moment they became independent people who can no longer be manipulated and are free of her grasp is the moment she starts losing control. Yeah. Another page from the My Mom playbook. The like, well, as soon as you become a real person, fuck you. Because I only had kids so that I had people to manipulate. And like, I truly think like this mom just, I feel like, had kids to prove some fucking point about what a good educator she is. Yeah. Because it feels like, you know, she's a college professor and, like, we're going to get back to how this movie doesn't understand, like, how teachers work. But that's... That's a, fine. We'll come back to that. But, like, I, it feels like, because she's always, like, she's always quizzing William, like, and she's always concerned about his financial success and him going to law school. It feels like this was just an exercise for her to prove what a smart kid she could make. Yeah. She... And that is just fundamentally an exercise in ego. No. Which is a thing we talk about. Parents, especially of the older generations. I mean, she's pre-boomer, right? Because this yeah. is the 70s. But, like, you know, like, they don't understand that, like, you should have children for their own sake and not your own. Like, right. how many people do we know or know of, right, who, like, have children because they feel it's important to continue some sort of, like, legacy or, like, that's just an ego exercise, because, like, your children didn't agree to carry on your legacy. Your no. children didn't consent 
to have your ideals thrust upon them and your priorities thrust upon them. They didn't even consent to exist. Right. So it's your... I feel like kind of as a parent... This is a, a hot take that I'm coming to right now and I fucking stand by it. When you become a parent, fundamentally, and I, I truly believe this, that fundamentally becoming a parent is a bad thing. Yeah. Because it violates consent, right? Like, your children can't consent to being born... And therefore, all childbirth is not is like fundamentally a little bit evil in that it's non-consensual. So I think you have a responsibility as a parent, not only to be a good parent and to steward your child through the world, but to kind of make up for the evil that you've thrust upon them, right? Like You drag me into this world. You better make this world better for me to live in. Exactly. Exactly. Like, if you're not doing something to actively make your child's life better, then you are an evil person because you are you did an evil act to create a thing and then perpetuated more evil on top of it. Absolutely. For your own gain, which is like the most evil motivation you can have. Absolutely. Your children owe you shit. Yeah, your children don't owe you anything. You, however, owe your children everything. everything. And, like, I feel like this has been a big switch in teaching as well. And, like, as someone who interacts with children, it is not about you. It is never, ever about you. You have to detach yourself so much. And as a parent can't imagine that it's it's got to be hard yeah. to like detach your emotions to this thing that you created right that's like literally a little bit you right your job when interacting with a, t- a child is to make sure that they are safe to make sure that they know they are safe and to help them move through the world how they want to right like to prepare them in whatever way they feel like they want to move through the world. Putting the pressure of, oh, you need to grow up to be a lawyer or a doctor. Like, don't choose that for your child. And from such a young age with William, too, like, yeah. that's just going to put him in such a bad headspace. Yeah. And it's just like, she's it's, she's a piece of work. Yeah. And it, like, pushing your kids like that, like, it doesn't help your kids succeed. No, right? it doesn't. Like, it just pushes your kid to resent you and probably develop like an anxiety complex around like success and money and whatever, whatever. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Like what actually would help your kids succeed is if they felt like you supported them and were there for them no matter what was going on and no matter what it was that they wanted to do. If you focused more on how hard your child is working at things that they love than what they're achieving, you are gonna get so much better. Like, this is a 15-year-old kid who is willing to travel across the country for something that he loves. Yeah. Right. And, like, you're mad at him for it? Yeah. You're mad that he's... Like, your whole thing is you told him to follow his dream. Like, that has been a line of hers yeah. in the beginning. And here you have him doing exactly that, and you're fucking mad about it because he might get introduced to other points of view that is not c- controlled by you. Right. I mean, she did let him go, yes. at the very least. Like, my mom wouldn't have let me go. I couldn't have even gone to, like, a single concert, much less... On a bus, on a whole tour. Yeah. Also, maybe don't let your 15-year-old child go travel with a bunch of unknown rock stars. Also that. I did... I just, like... Because, like, as much as 
oh, we should just get into this. Like, as much as I agree with you, it is really cool to see how much he does build his own little, like, family and Oh, absolutely. And I I think this movie really has some important things to say about, you know, finding family where you are. Absolutely. And building a community out of whoever's around you, even if they're a bunch of fucking misfit weirdos, you know, who are just following a band around. The way he handled the situation and how he did create his own family and yeah. like especially from coming from a family that is so isolated and so binary of yeah. just him and his mom because his sister left when he was pretty young right and to see someone who has been so isolated be able to create their own community like that is incredible yeah and is like such a strong and powerful message it's to such send. a testament to like the strength of William as a character. And Absolutely. Kind of his overwhelming, like, charm and charisma. Like, I feel like that is really the thing that gets him through this movie, right? Like, he just disarms everyone around him so easily. Yeah. That they feel sort of compelled to take care of him. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And, I... like, how many times, like, there's, like, two different conversations. with One with Russell and one with Sapphire... Fruit of Bolt, character, um, and where they both just rave about William yeah. and are like protective of him and are like, "You have an incredible, you have game. a great son. We're keeping him safe. Like, I know you're worried, but like, he's not getting into any trouble. He's not doing drugs. Like, it's literally like the best possible situation that a parent could hope for. Right, and like going back to what you said about it, like the strength of William's character of like being around that atmosphere. We both know being in an atmosphere where there's constant drug yeah. drinking and drugs, like you get right. pulled into it totally. really easily. It's, yeah, it's so easy because it's just it's the, what's going Go on. on. Right, and it's normalized. And of course you want to fit in because you're 15 and that's all any teenager wants. And here he, not ever do we see him take no, drugs? Never see him do drugs. As far as we know, he doesn't even drink. No. Like he even it's so sweet, like towards the end of the movie, he won't even be in the bathroom while Penny Lane is peeing. Yeah. Because he feels like this sense of propriety about it. And it's like, man, you've been on the road with these girls and this band for like what are we what like a week, two weeks? Right. Now, three weeks at this point. And he still maintains that level of principle that right. he's like, this is not how this is supposed to go. I don't, I'm not do. I'm not, I'm not okay with this. this way. Yeah. He, he knows who he is. And to do that at that age. Yeah. In a way that like, I am so jealous that he knew like what he wanted to do and felt motivated to do it at you 15. Know, 15 and 16. Right. Like, I'm still figuring that shit out. I, yeah. And again, it goes back to how fucking well this movie is written. It's just like every character I feel like has like, you can like dissect their psyche in like such an interesting way. And you can like really tell everyone's stories. Yeah. Which is an incredible feat of storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, this movie is so beautifully told. We kind of did talk about this, but, like, the pressure and discomfort of being, like, a gifted kid. Jesus Christ. Of having the expectation put on you from, like, such a young age that, like, 
you have to be different. You have to be successful. There has to be something special about you. Like I got put in gifted classes when I was like eight. Yeah. I was like second grade or something. Third grade maybe. And like there's, first of all, like there's no way for it not to be an isolating experience. No. And like I think my like light conspiracy theory here is that like it's intentionally isolating to try and make unusual kids crushed into as usual a box as is possible absolutely and yeah i don't know also the pressure i feel like i mean there's a fucking red flag going up again but it feels like it's always this pressure it's this money success pressure absolutely you have to be successful and success means money right like i don't know i feel like all things considered given you know in my 32 years of life like i feel like i've been pretty successful yeah you know like i've been doing comedy for a decade i've been doing i'm such a good storyteller i've met so many people doing comedy but like i've never made money doing it so if you measure success that way, then I'm not successful, but that's not how I measure success. And I think that's a fundamental shift that's happening in the culture right now, I feel like is, and like a big divide of boomers and millennials of like, we start, because we could not hit their markers of success, like we can't buy a house, we can't, you yeah. know, get married, we can't have kids. Um and again, I also think as queer people, like right. that adds another layer to it, yeah. that our version of success just looks different and mm. is going to be different. Yeah. I would call this whole journey that he goes on a successful, like, as a success. Oh my God. Like you, you have a cover story on Rolling Stone. Like that is successful. Yeah. Like sure. You only made like a thousand dollars on it. I mean, $1,000 in 1973 money is, you know, it's a lot of money. (laughs) It is a lot of money. But, like, how many people can say that they have written the cover story of Rolling Rolling Stones? Right. Yeah. Not many. And, like, how many 16-year-olds? Right. One? Just the one, probably, I would bet. Like, I haven't looked up the stats, but... Yeah. I... But, yeah. I think it really is a lot of the pressure that gets put on gifted kids is is that you need to conform mm. you need oh, exactly you it's... need to conform and you need to utilize what advantages you have to get ahead of everyone else right and it's like this thing that's special about you is only good if it can be used in a way that can benefit a corporation right right even if that corporation is you right like you are only special you are only good if you can benefit a corporation that can take advantage of your labor. Absolutely. Which is horrifying. Which is just like a horrible way to orient people at all. Yeah. Much less like small children. Yes. Like, again, we've said this before, and I will probably say it a million more times. Let children be goddamn children. Don't let, it is not their job to worry about how they can utilize being smart to get a better job when you are 10 years old. Right. Your job is to. Be 10 years old. Yeah. Like, gifted programs should be opted in. Like, maybe some kids don't, like, maybe they're not as challenged as they could be, but maybe they don't want to be. Maybe they're not ready for that. Yeah. And maybe some kids who aren't 
showing up as gifted children want to be challenged and will step up to that plate if given the option totally and also like if gifted programs acknowledged how much like how many of those kids are in those programs because they're neurodivergent in some way right right like i know now that like the reason i was in gifted programs was that like I have ADHD and autism, so, like, I learn stuff really fast, and then I get super fucking bored, and I could not care less. So I was probably a menace in school. Right. I don't don't remember especially being a menace, but I have a feeling I was probably a menace, and of course you would want to get me out of class because I'm annoying. But, like, if you had just, you know, if you'd given me work that was tailored toward the way my brain works instead of just making me do more schoolwork that i was gonna get bored with the same way i gotten bored with my other schoolwork like why would you think that that would make me successful like why would you think that would work for my brain if like well i can't i'm too fucking antsy to sit still in class but i sure could sit still for this extra class i have to take every day right it's... what yeah, again, the whole education system needs to be burned to the ground and rebuilt and needs to be more individualized right. and less standardized testing because fuck all of this. Right, because children aren't identical. Like, no! People aren't interchangeable robots. We're individual people with di- with individual needs and, like, we all learn differently, we all think differently, we all have different priorities and, like, turning us into little human robots is not making anyone happy except the people who own the, you know the factories who need the robots yeah yeah (sighs) folks i know it sounds like we come back to this every time but it really is all capitalism's fault yeah and i wish that it wasn't like i wish that we had something else to talk about where we were like ugh parents just fucking you know like i wish we could complain about shitty stuff like helicopter parenting and you know like making your kids gluten-free but like though you know like we have more important issues to talk about which also don't restrict your kids fucking diet let them eat what they fucking want don't they have an allergy that's different but your kid didn't fucking ask to be gluten-free no sorry that that shit makes me crazy no don't don't like if they ask my niece is vegetarian but that's a thing she wanted to do right she picked that nobody said well you can't have meat because I don't think it's right. Well, it's not up to you. They don't have to share your priorities. Again, still. Anytime you put any kind of restriction or shame or any negative emotion around food, you are feeding into what will sometimes and most likely turn into an eating disorder. Right. Especially with children. Especially Because with children, children are so absorbent. We always talk about this. Like, if the the job of a child brain is to take specific information and figure out how to apply it in a wider context. Yep. That is what child brains do because they have to learn so much information about a huge world with a very small sample size. So if you give them, if you put those levels of like shame and discomfort on food the child brain is just going to say, okay, food is bad. Right. Okay. Eating is bad. Okay. Food is the enemy or I need to feel bad about my food. Or if I'm, you know, hunger is good. Like all of the toxic fucking eating disorder messages. Children don't have the ability to go, oh, this is how my mother feels about food. It does not apply to me. Right. Because you don't know as a kid that your parents aren't like, 
all-powerful gods who right. literally make the rules of the universe. Right. And it's just, yeah, it's bad. If you don't unpack your own shit, it is going to be passed down to your children. Totally. And. Which is, yeah, I mean, most of parenting yeah. is like unpacking your shit. Yeah. Just like a lot of teaching is just unpacking Packing your, your shit. shit. It's unpacking your shit and learning to detach, which sounds not how you should be raising children, but apparently it is. Yeah. I kind of want to talk about these groupies, the Band-Aids. Yeah. I, I love that they refer to themselves as Band-Aids. Band-Aids. Because they help the band. I love that. Yeah. I love Penny Lane's whole philosophy around it, of it being we're here as muses and inspiration and not just totally. here to look hot and use our bodies. Right, right. Yeah, like we're here to make the bands better. Right. And like, yeah, I like them as sort of a, a to like a representative or a totem of like the fans. And yeah, like fan exactly. Culture. Especially because like, as William talks about, like, when he has the conflict on, when they have the fight on the on the plane. Right. Um, he's like, you always say you're about the fans, but, like, these fans you who are actually in your face every day, you couldn't give less of a shit about. Yeah. Right? Like, these fans who do everything for you, they don't have jobs. They follow you around on the road, and you sold them for 50 bucks and a case of beer. Yeah. Because you don't care about the fans. You no. care about yourself. You care about being rich and famous and not having to have a real job. Just fucking say that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and it's just, I don't know. I just think it's also an interesting sort of testament to the community you can build around a common interest like that. I love the camaraderie of the girls totally. have with each other. Yeah. Like, that they are always looking out for each other, that they, you know go their separate ways but come back and are a family of their own totally. and have created this community and within their own ranks to make themselves feel safe and make themselves feel seen yeah because like i can't imagine being around bands as that band-aid would be yeah. very fulfilling it's, yeah it's gotta be exhausting like emotionally yeah. exhausting we do have to talk about how they kind of lightly sexually assault this 15 year old boy yeah we do there's a whole lot of like weird underage bullshit throughout this whole movie yeah and and i get that it's like kind of a it's a you know it's a coming of age story and he's like figuring out how to be an adult without his overbearing mother like i get is still kind of he's still a 15 year old child still a 15 year old boy i like give him two years and i'm sure i would feel a little bit different totally. but like 15 is still a child yeah 15 is not in that weird in between i'm not a child i'm not an adult yet no, it's, it's still a child. a child and i get that for a lot of people sex is a rite of passage into adulthood which I have complicated feelings around. But anyway, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say, notably, the actor who plays William was 17 or 18 when this movie was made. But I do think it kind of, like you were saying, it. I think it kind of does a disservice to, like, the the severity of the situation. Oh my god, it because absolutely if, does. if this 
if William were played by an actual 15-year-old actor and this thing happened where they were like, let's deflower the kid and then they strip all his clothes, like, that would be horrifying. Horrifying. Like, yeah. And again, this happens in movies all the time where you have these scenes of, like, women being predatory and gross and sexually assaulting people but it's read as a joke or because it's a man because it's a man and like men are always in control when it comes to sex right but like fuck it just made my oh yeah that whole scene made my another example of how like the patriarchy also hurts men right right? like because men aren't allowed to say this hurt me i don't feel comfortable i don't like this situation because men are supposed to be open to all sex from all points at all times because, you know, the patriarchy only allows for a certain slim idea of what masculinity is. Right. So you're not allowed to say no to stuff like this. So, I mean, I'm sure that this is a problem all over the place with Absolutely. men and boys being sexually assaulted by older women and, like, not understanding that that's what's happening. I know people in my life as adults who... Like, talk jokingly about how they lost their virginity at 16 to someone who was a decade older. Yikes. Like, it's not funny. No, it's not. Just because you're a person, like, just because you're a testicle haver, like, that's not, it's not funny. It's not cool. And, like, that, that girl who had sex with you when you were 16 and she was 26, like, she's not cool she didn't think you were cool she's a fucking predator absolutely and like like, i don't understand why we don't think women can also be predators like do you know if you were i mean there's this story these stories that happen sometimes about like a teacher who you know falls in love with or has a relationship with a male student right and the you know the prevailing discourse for men is always like, well, that a boy, go get him. Right. But like, she's still a predator. She is absolutely if a predator. Thirty-year-old man in a position of power was in a relationship with a sixteen-year-old girl. There would be a... there would the cops would be called. Right. Like he would be dragged out of his car in the street. But because it's happening to a man, it's just a fucking joke. Yeah. It is. Absolutely sickening. It's fucking disgusting. And, like, it happens... Like, I have friends who, like, it wasn't until they were in their 20s and 30s that they realized that they had been assaulted because they didn't have... The capacity capacity to know know. what they were doing. Right. Right. And... Oh, God. Yeah, it's just... It's just gross. And, like... Yeah. When when we make our men okay, we're doing this movie again. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> There's so much to talk about masculinity in this yeah, movie. Yeah, I just feel like we don't have time. No. It's not, it's not the moment, but we, like, we, we could make a whole episode about this movie's idea of masculinity. Oh, my God. Uh, stay tuned for when we yeah, finally create our... Yeah, stay tuned for when we finally create our sibling show, Our Men Okay. Because uh, the spoiler... They're no. not. <laughs> I want to talk about the production of this movie a little bit. Yeah, please. Because, like, I, maybe we've mentioned, maybe I've mentioned already, maybe not, that this movie is, like, sort of lightly autobiographical, not lightly, largely autobiographical by Cameron Crowe. He was accelerated in high school, and he 
went on tour with the Allman Brothers in the 70s to write a story that ended up being on the cover of Rolling Stone. Jesus Christ, Cameron Crowe. Which, yeah, like, get fucked, Cameron Crowe. Be more fucking successful. Oh, wait, you literally can't. So, like, other than, you know, other than basically, like, the band Stillwater, which is made up, basically everything about this is is true. That is... Uh... Oh Which boy. is like a little upsetting, but also like super fascinating that this like really was like that this is like something that happened, and I'm sure to more than one person. Like yeah, I'm sure. Like of course, boomers don't understand us. They could just go on tour for a goddamn month that's, and a half. That's what I said. Is like uh yeah, I grew up. Boomers will say I grew up poor, but. I spent six weeks following the Grateful Dead around. No, I didn't have a job. Yes, somehow I had money to live for, live and travel for six weeks. Yeah, okay. Get oh, fucked, Boomer. If I did not work for six weeks, I would be on the streets. Yeah, I'd have to live in... I'd have to travel because I live in my fucking car. Right. Jesus fucking Christ. I can't not work for one week and still pay my rent and eat food. Right. It's... It... Mm-hmm. But still, what a cool thing to happen that you could just, right? like, at 16, you could follow the Allman Brothers and just, like, yeah. be, and then to get on the fucking cover. Yeah. Jesus. Cover of Rolling Stone at 16, like, I I wrote in my notes, like, people with lives like this make me furious with jealousy as a storyteller. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Because, like, I worked so fucking hard to turn, like, you know, I didn't have, like, a perfect idyllic childhood or anything, but, like, I worked so hard to turn, like, relatively normal events into, like, beautiful moving stories. Right. And people like Like, this fucker just have to be like, whoa, one time when I was 16 and I was on a tour bus with the Almond Brothers, we almost died. It's like, come on, man. I worked on this. You just existed. That's not fair. Jesus Christ. Right? It's all about being in the right place at the right time. And yeah. Like, if I had been on a tour bus with a band for, you know, three weeks in the 70s, I would have, I would be... I would make a movie about it, too! <laughs> exactly! <laughs> do you want to do a rapid fire? Yeah, we should do a rapid fire, because I have a bunch of little notes that aren't anything, but are funny yes (laughs) so when we when we are introducing this movie and going through the credits and coming into san diego where he is Mm -hmm. we have elvin and the goddamn chipmunks in christmas carols (laughs) who in the goddamn hell thought singing chipmunks was a good idea yeah i don't know i'm curious it is the most annoying sound in the world right like what what was the cultural movement that made us all want to listen to, like, sped-up, nasally chipmunk singing. Like, what? Why? Why? Were you okay? It was the fucking It was the drugs. It was all the drugs and all the fucking lead in the air. For sure. I can see that. Anyway, I'm just like, I just accidentally fell into, like, a weird Alvin and the Chipmunks hole. But, like, this, this article what this article is not explaining to me is why 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 did this happen hey siri why did elvin and the chipmunks happen (laughs) 
I wasn't serious. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, Alvin and the Chipmunks. Not really relevant here. But yeah. Also, it never fed back into anything. No, well, except that the whole Christmas in September thing. They're right. singing the Christmas, like, right. Christmas song. And even though it's, you know, September. Yeah. Um. <laughs> oh, I have this funny... So many of my so many of my rapid fire notes are literally just quotes. Oh my god, there's so many good ones. Character, the mom. Uh, she says, "I'm a college professor. Why can't I teach my own kids?" And I wrote, "Well, you see, college professors don't actually get taught how to teach. Um, it's actually like a huge gap in the system where we just assume that if you're an expert in something, that also means you know how to properly communicate it to young minds, which ain't the case." Looking at you, color theory teachers. Yeah, I mean, it's so crazy to me that, like, if you're teaching children, you have to, like, not only do you have to get a special cert, but, like, if you want to have any kind of real job working with children, you have to have a specific degree in education or child development or whatever, whatever. But, like, if you want to teach adults, eh, you just got to know some shit. And, like, you know, it's so stupid. And, like, so you don't even dumb. have to necessarily have a degree in the same stuff that you're teaching. No! My fucking color theory teacher usually taught math! Exactly. And we... But he was allowed to touch, teach color theory because... And, like, plenty... Well, like, when I was in college and stuff, like, tons of my, like, history professors were actually you know other humanities professors they were communications professors they were linguistics professors they were anthropology professors they just also had to teach history classes because those are the popular ones or whatever jesus fucking christ I hate <laughs> even though they have no system. real expertise and no expertise in actually teaching what the fuck are we doing i have college? no idea burn it to the ground oh i also another another peak mom quote uh in here is adolescence is a marketing tool <laughs> like okay get fucked <laughs> adolescence is real just because we used to punish children for being children doesn't mean it wasn't real it just means you were shitty <laughs> yeah exactly i just want to shout out all of the wonderful teenage uh facial hair we see when oh my God. in his high school yeah. it is <laughs> it is beautiful as a trans man like i relate <laughs> yeah. hard kid, like combing his super thin little baby baby stash I know too many queers with that mustache. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure I can still grow a mustache <laughs> better than that. Uh, I, we should all be so lucky as to have a cool older sister like Zoe Deschanel who leaves us like, uh, you know, a hundred records or whatever. Oh 50 God. records she leaves him. Like, I'm sorry, I have to get out of this house and you're trapped here, but here's the lifeline. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like every kid, especially kids who are from this kind of like, you know, kind of repressive, isolating childhood, deserve to have this little window into like being cool and what like yeah. real culture is. I guess maybe I'm just a little jealous that I didn't have this. Oh my god, same. I would have killed for an older sister. I feel like I could have really... 
benefited a lot from having an older sister. Totally. I love that how William gets backstage is by stroking the ego of Stillwater in the first place. <laughs> yeah, of right. Course, like, of course, that's all it takes. Of is course, like... just tell them how good their music is and of course they'll let you in. Right? Oh, so good. This movie has like so many comics and comic actors in it. Like Jay Baruchel, Rain Wilson. We talked about Jimmy Fallon and Mark Marin. Like, I don't know if it's on purpose because none of them are like comic roles. Right. But it really works. It really does. They're all really funny. And they're all really well played. Yeah, I really especially like Jimmy Fallon in this movie, even though I generally don't like Jimmy Fallon. Hate Jimmy Fallon as a human being and also as a com- as a comedian. Yeah, he's not really that funny. He's, no. He's good when he has a writer's room, though. Yeah, well, it's amazing how easy it is to be funny when you have 12 funny people writing for you. The mom has another great line later on when she's, like, trying to talk to him. It's like, am I not fun? And my immediate note was just, have you met you? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not fun. In fact, your picture might be in the dictionary next to unfun. Oh, like, my God. Um, hot take, if you are a lead singer and you're not at least playing rhythm guitar, you're not pulling your weight. Unless you're putting on some crazy stage show where you're running around and you're jumping off stuff, then I don't, I don't. You have no excuse. Elton John can play the goddamn piano. Right. Then I don't think you're pulling your weight. The, the lead singer in this movie is, uh, played by Jason Lee, Jeff Beebe, and he's, yeah, just like a perfect lead singer, like thinks that he does everything when in fact he does basically nothing. nothing. Yeah. There is this disgusting scene where they're on the bus and pass a high school girls running team. I note too. And it's just like, and the men get all gross and like ogle them and are like, it's, they are children. Yeah, they, because specifically everyone on the bus is asleep. And one of the guys sees the girls running in their, like, school track uniforms or whatever. And he wakes everyone up to be like, quick, everybody, let's ogle these children together. They repeatedly point out that they are high schoolers. Which, like... Barf. Gross. Super barf. Why do you want to sleep with a child? Right? Why, like... Yeah. Gross gross yeah and they and they say queers are the ones grooming their children when straight people pull the shit all the goddamn time it's just another like it's another one of those examples of like you of projecting right of like you always have to accuse other people of the thing that you're doing which is just a thing that conservatives in this country cannot stop themselves from doing no do you know how many in how many states it is illegal for you to marry a child if you have that child's parents' consent? Illegal or legal? Legal. Like like 37. 30, right? I was like, like it's like 30. Most of them. Yeah. It's a ridiculous. Yeah. And like there have been like 10 year olds are getting married. Yeah. In in a lot of places, there if you have parental consent, there is no age restriction on marriage. Or, you know, the age restriction is something like 10 or 12. And yet... And yet we're the ones grooming our children. Look, my parents were straight and I still turned out queer as hell. Like, what do you more evidence and, do I you mean, need? we've talked about this before, but, like, even, like, traditional, like, heteronormative, like, beauty standards are, are what all... are all about adolescence. Like, you know, thin, 
hairless, like all of that's 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 a child. You're yeah. describing a child's body. Yeah, it's disgusting. It's really, really fucking gross. Yeah, it's really fucking gross. I love how William uses his youth as a way to get in and stay in rooms where he should not be allowed as a journalist. Totally. Where, like, if he had been an adult journalist, he would have been thrown out of so many more rooms and situations. Right. But everybody's like, ah, he's a kid. Let the kid stay. The kid can hear this. This is, like, you know. It's a good education for him. Right. Like, you know, he'll learn something. And it really feeds into a trope that I really love, which is kid hustler. Yeah. And, like, which, like... Kid who takes advantage of people underestimating them because they're they're a kid. kid. Yeah. It's so good. It's dope. Yeah. We love a kid hustler. Take advantage of people. (laughs) Fuck Adult hustlers, fuck you. Yeah, no. Child's hustler, fucking get it. Yeah. (laughs) I just think when we finally find out, it's so, it's like, God, it's like truly an an anti-climax. This whole movie, there's this runner about... The main band-aid, her name is Penny Lane, which obviously is a Beatles song. But the whole movie, William is trying to find out her real name. Right. He keeps asking and asking and asking what her real name is. And at the end, they're walking around or whatever after he saves her life. She tells him that her name is Lady Goodman. Which, if I've ever seen... A to-be-replaced writer name, it is this one. Lady Goodman might as well just, she might as well say, my name is TKTK because this was meant to be replaced in the script. Lady Goodman? Like, I get, oh, we got to go back to the marrying up thing because I want to talk about that too. Lady, I kind of get, but it's really fucking lazy. Like, it would have made more sense to like name her after a queen or something. Right. But then Goodman, like, come on. You may as well call the character, like, woman, not a slut. Like, woman worth saving. Woman who has value, even though she's a slut. Like, her last name might as well be, I'm a human being even though I have sex. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fucking dumb. And it's like... It's such a clunker because everything in this movie is, like, so beautifully written and he's such a good writer and that it just, like, drops like a ton of bricks. When you're like, I like Lady Goodman. Goodman? It still is making me mad. Katherine Johnson would have been better. Yeah, anything. Literally anything. Yeah. But you wanted to go back to the mayor. Oh, I wanted to go back because... Her mother always, like, she says this thing about, my mother always used to say, like, marry someone grand, marry up. Yeah. Right? And I just think that that is totally, like, a true-to-life thing that a lot of femme people, I, I hope now don't still get told that message, but have for generations of, yep. like, the way for you to succeed like, the only way for you to succeed is by marrying someone. Right, is by hoping that a man succeeds and you can win him, you know, because the only way for a woman to be successful is attached to a successful man. Right. And I don't know, it just it's just um, a really gross societal message about how, like, the only way for a woman to be successful is sex. And then the patriarchy will turn around and be like, oh, you women, you're only successful because of sex. And it's like, that's, you told us that. That was your thing. We tried to be successful other ways. You wouldn't let us. So we 
fucked some people, and now you're mad about that too. We were playing your game, and you're the right. one who got mad. You made the rules for this game, not us. We don't want this. But we have to play the game the way you made the rules, so I don't know what you want, fucko. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's bullshit. I love Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. Oh, Lester Bangs, a real journalist for uh, Rolling Stone, by the way. I adore his relationship with William and how honest he is with totally. William. And I love their last conversation about how it's okay to be uncool. Yeah. And like, this is your job. Like, yeah. your job is to be the uncool person in around a bunch of cool people. I wish that I had had someone like that for me growing up. Yeah. Who was like, you're just going to be uncool. Like, he, he was like, you know, they want they want you to feel cool because, like, that's that's the booze they feed you. But I met you, dude. You are not cool. You're never going to be cool. We're not cool guys. Like, that's, that's okay. okay. That's just not our lot in life. Like, you don't have to be like them to be successful. Right. Right. And, and yeah, I just think it's a really beautiful, yeah, message. Especially, like, this movie feels like it kind of is a little bit of, like, a handoff from, like one like overly restrictive uh sort of authoritarian parent to like an alternative parent figure i was gonna say yeah who has like a more sort of open and understanding way of of parenting or william i'm sure like because he has that lack of a uh, paternal figure in the house totally that like having lester fill that role that way is so incredible and so I'm amazing sure. and yeah. I, I would watch a whole movie just about their friendship. Totally, yeah. I just want to watch, yeah, a whole movie of them calling back and forth and, like, bitching about rock stars and what it's like to be a rock journalist. That would be amazing. Yeah. Or just, like, a buddy movie, like a road buddy movie. Oh, my God! Where they just, like, drive around and get into fucking hijinks and they just, like, wax poetic about, like, music and stuff. That would be fucking great. Cameron Crowe, write a sequel. Yeah, please. It doesn't seem like he's writing movies anymore. That's fine. Like, the last thing he wrote and directed was We Bought a Zoo. Oh, I guess Aloha. I don't know Aloha. Um, Aloha. Oh, is that, that the one, one with, uh, with, uh, what's her name? Who's with Emma Stone. Known as a uh, Native Hawaiian. Yeah, that's the one. The, like, lightly racist one about yeah. Hawaii. Cool. Yeah, cool, 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 cool. Glad we're, uh... So, yeah, it, it's basically since, since this, it has been, uh, downhill slide seems to be the way well because it was this and then vanilla sky which is not really successful but again is like nominated for some awards and then elizabeth town which we're gonna do on the show two weeks i think yep so and then after that it's kind of just bloods you know we bought a zoo and then a bunch of like documentaries and stuff like that interesting seems like mostly these days he just wants to make rock docs which you know good for him yeah. Like, you obviously have a passion about right. this. Right, obviously. Yeah, you obviously love being a journalist and love, like, you know, talking about music. So, like, fucking do that. Right. Right.